Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm in the beautiful Spurgeon Library today, as always, in the studio, uh, working the board, trying to figure it out. Don't want to mess anything up. I think so far so good when they when they have me flying solo in here. Uh, things tend to go wrong, but uh, hopefully nothing will go wrong today. Hey, are you sick and tired of hearing about what evangelicals believe or don't believe, how they vote or don't vote, how many of them actually go to church or read their Bibles and pray every day? It seems like every time there's a new poll about evangelicals, we have another reason to kind of wring our hands and clutch our pearls. Are you tired of the endless debates about what an evangelical even is? Is the word meaningless? Well, here today to help us kind of sort through this movement in crisis is Dr. Thomas Kidd. Kidd is the James Vardaman Distinguished Professor of History at Baylor University. He's also, not incidentally, a visiting professor of church history here at Midwestern Seminary, author of a bazillion books, uh, uh, including one that was the inspiration behind our conversation today, uh, last year's Who is an Evangelical? The History of a Movement in Crisis, published uh, by Yale University Press. Dr. Kidd, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so the the question about the usefulness of the word evangelical has been uh, continually popping up here, uh, at least in, in in our corners of social media and and you know Christian media and those sorts of things over the last several years. And I remember probably even like ten years ago, um, I was participating in a in a group blog that was hosted by um, First Things. Actually, they had a an evangelical portal that Joe Carter and and myself and a few others were involved in. And I remember the question being asked then, um, is the word even useful anymore? How do you define evangelical? Has it come, you know, has, has it morphed? And that was 10 years ago. Um, today, we're asking a similar question. D- does it just mean white conservative Protestants, as some say, or does it simply refer to a kind of political voting block? Um, I, I think maybe that might might be kind of short-sighted. What's the the uh, 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 the current state of the evangelical question of the word evangelical <laughs> from your perspective. Right. Well, I, I think that this operates at multiple levels, and that, that makes it difficult to know, you know, its usefulness in what context. I think it's really the probably more specific issue that we're dealing with. And, and of course, at, at the level of the word itself, I mean, it's a, it's a biblical word in, in Greek. And so we can't get away from it in that sense of the, the good news sense of evangelical. Um, and, and then I, I don't think that there's any chance that the media is going to stop using the word evangelical or the <laughs> right. pollsters will stop using the word evangelical. So I, I, I think, we're probably stuck with it at, at multiple levels, but um, I do think that it, it would be a good idea for pastors to be careful about when and how they use that term. I mean, I don't I don't know that there's a ton of churches that go around talk. You know, the pastors always saying, "Hey, evangelicals, aren't you glad we're here?" Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I just don't know how often that comes up in kind of every Sunday parlance. For, for churches, but if you do happen to self-identify as, you know, say we as evangelical Christians believe this or or, or that, um, I I think it's worth pastors sort of registering caveats about, you know, now I'm not using that as 
as a political term like you hear in the media a lot. I, I think just saying something, a phrase like that, probably can help uh, smooth over some potential misunderstandings about the term, especially uh, among uh, non-whites that are in your congregation who, who uh, especially African-Americans, I think, uh, inexorably hear, uh, perfectly understandably hear um, political connotations in that term that you may not wish to convey. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting is, though, I, I've heard from, um, you know, African-American brothers and sisters that when we say evangelical, we should qualify that and say white evangelical because that's, you know, usually the context uh, for which people mean it. And yet I've also heard the pushback to say just over the hand wringing about getting rid of the word and and part of the impetus behind, you know, getting rid of the word is because, as you mentioned, the way the media tends to use it to refer to uh, you know, almost a vague, um, almost amorphous kind of uh, political movement or just, a, you know, as a voting block, you know, the president is trumping, uh, uh, trumping is courting um, evangelicals, um, um, that sort of thing. And so I say, you know, we really should just find a new word. You mentioned the biblical roots of it, um, that it comes from the the word, you know, the uh, evangelion, which means good news, the the gospel itself. But I've also heard that um, we should not be so uh, short-sighted globally that there, you know, we have brothers and sisters around the world who um, have embraced the term evangelical. They, you know, they consider themselves evangelical, uh, our Korean brothers and sisters and so on and so forth. And you know, is there such a, a thing as, you know, discounting them by trying to kind of distance ourselves from the word itself? Yes, I, I think that's true. I, I I think that there are places in the world, and this would be a great project for someone to research about the uses of evangelical around the world um, and, and how different believers are more and more or less enthusiastic about the term. Just purely anecdotally, I was talking to a, a Puerto Rican sister at my church uh, about this issue recently, and, and she was adamant that evangelical is a really good word to use. Uh, and, and in her context, it was, um, you, you know, that we're not Catholics. A lot of times in Latin America, that's still what the word evangelical implies is not Catholic Okay. Um, for those heavily Catholic uh, cultural contexts that they're coming out of. Um, to her, it also seemed to, this is a, a pretty charismatic sister, um, and, and she, she seemed to think it also implied that uh, believers who are charismatic. Um, so, I, you know, I think there are some evangelicals who might not want to care that baggage either. But, <laughs> right. um, uh, so it, we, we just have to remember that even in different national contexts, it, it means different things. But, I, you know, in America, I think it's, I mean, I'm fine if people want to want to self-describe as what, you know, Jesus followers or gospel Christians. I mean, those seem like good terms to me, but they're, they're not terms that the media and especially pollsters are going to pick up on. Um, and so one of the reasons I'm, I wrote the book and do what I am trying to do is I, I just think I'd like to be a resource to people in the media about the way that the term is used. And among other things, remind people, as you suggested before, that um, it, it, it's not just uh, implicitly uh, white in the way that the media uses it. A lot of times the polls are only uh, polls of white people. 
um, and, and especially exit polls where the 81% number came from, um, they're, they're virtually always only asking white people if they're evangelicals. So it's sort, sort of if this, then that. If you do not say that you're white, you don't get asked the evangelical question in, in a lot of these polling stories. And there are reasons historically for that. It's not just a malevolent thing that, th- that they're doing it this way, but it, it's, it's not just implicitly coded as white. It, it, it's, it's by design in the polls. And, and so for us, in the church, I, I think that's just a really highly problematic aspect of the media coverage of evangelicals. What's the history of of the word? Did it originate? I mean, apart from the the you know, it's pulling from the Greek language, but the evangelical as a descriptor for um, you know Protestants, um, you know, Reformation uh, a tradition Protestants or Reformational heritage Protestants. Where does that word come from? Is there someone who kind of uh, pioneered that, or do we see it kind of popping up for the first time in a certain uh, a part of church history? Well, it, in the Reformation, it's definitely connected with just Protestantism. I mean, I, I, in 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 German, uh, the word evangelisch just for a long time just meant Protestant okay. or, or maybe Lutheran, um, and 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 so it does have a deep uh, Reformed history of the, the associations with it. And then in English, um, for uh, for a long time in the in the 1500s, 1600s, it did tend to mean the same thing. And in those in those uh, times when you had so much conflict in England about Catholic versus Protestant, evangelical tended to just mean Protestant. Um, and in uh, in those days, it was it was almost always used as an adjective rather than a noun. Um, I've just been reading a book by John Owen, who, who constantly uses the word evangelical, but but as far as I know, always as an adjective, right. uh, evangelical faith, uh, evangelical truth, in the, an evangelical book or an evangelical sermon. Yeah, evangelical um, ministry. And that, yeah. that pretty much is the way that it was through uh, the Great Awakening in the 1700s. Uh, evangelical became connected with people like George Whitfield. Uh, you know, these are the you know, evangelical believers who uh, you were participating in the revivals. And then in the 1800s, I think, is when it's when it starts more commonly to be used as a noun, though certainly not exclusively. Um, and uh, when it was used as a noun in the 1800s, it basically meant Christians who uh, followed in the, in the wake of uh, Whitfield and Wesley and Edwards and, and those those sorts of people. Um, but I think that the nounification, if you will, of the word e- evangelical really gets fixed with the founding of the National Association of Evangelicals in the early 1940s. Um, that, that's when I think you, you see the full transition towards it being used as, as a noun, uh, mostly. Um, and then, of course, the word evangelicalism is is just a scholar's term that comes out in the mid 20th century. So that that's the basic overview of the use of it. Yeah. How, how should we define it today? If someone asks you, so what is an evangelical or what does evangelical mean? What, what would you use? Would you go to, to Bevington or is there another, has that kind of outlasted? Its yeah. Usefulness? Well, I, I think that the Bevington's four point definition is, is, is a good definition and it's worked well for a long time now. And, and you do see that come up in the media sometimes when people are trying to understand theologically what, what evangelical means. Um, I, I try to make it a little simpler than Bevington 
uh, does, partly because I think he has a couple of attributes um, that I just don't think are distinctively evangelical enough, uh, especially the the um, concept of activism. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I'm i left a little flat by that one. I mean, I, I you know, I know that there are sort of uh, quietest Christian groups through history, but but I think most Christian groups are trying to get people to do something about their faith. Um, it's it's different things that they try to get people to do, but but I, I just don't I don't I, I can't quite grasp the idea that evangelicals are sort of uniquely active in in their faith. Okay, I, I think part of what he means by that is engaged in missions and evangelism, right? Um, which I, which I I agree with that, but that's not what he says. He says he says activism. So um, anyway, uh, I, I the simplest version of my definition is just that uh, evangelicals are born again Christians, um, and and so putting the the um, uh, focus on conversion, uh, the conversion experience um, as as key turning point in evangelical faith and piety, um, and and I think that that is um, arguably uh, the most important characteristic of, of evangelicals. So so I I think that also takes it back to a, a time at least in the kind of mid 1970s when it wasn't. The term wasn't fully identified with Republicans. Uh, you know, you think about Jimmy Carter's candidacy, and he he really was the most important person who brought the term "born again" into American uh, popular parlance. Chuck Colson too, but but um, uh, you know, the the media was just sort of flummoxed about Carter talking about having been born again. <laughs> right. um, they had to you know look up what that meant um, in 1976. So. Um, I, I think if you want a super short, uh, to the point definition, it's just you know born again Christians, a religion of born again Christians. But I also add, um, if you want to get a little more complicated, the, the the conversion experience, and then the very high view of the authority of the Bible, um, and then a, a a felt sense of God's presence in your life. Uh, you know whether you talk about a personal relationship with the whole, with 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 Jesus or Walking in the Holy Spirit, which is a biblical term, but was very commonly used in the 1700s among evangelicals. Um, but but that that makes it a sort of three point definition. If you want to go with the more complicated one, uh, conversion, Bible, and felt presence of God, I think are those work better for me because I really do think that they're evangelical distinctives. Not necessarily uniquely evangelical, but if you take any one of those away, then clearly you don't have an evangelical anymore. Okay, so let's dig in a little deeper. Why do you say the movement is in crisis? What's the crisis? Well, some of it is just the confusion over the politicization of the of the term evangelical, which began probably in the 1950s uh, with Billy Graham's. Uh, Long-standing partnerships uh, and, and sometimes very close alliances with American presidents, including Dwight Eisenhower, uh, Richard Nixon, um, and and he certainly had a relationship with every president from from Eisenhower to George W. Bush, um, and uh, it, I think especially of, of course in, in the 1970s, 1980s, uh, when you start to get 
polling about evangelicals. 1976 is the first time that Gallup starts asking people whether they're born again. Um, and I, I think that's a really important moment when evangelicals basically lose control of the public impression of, of what their movement is and what evangelicals believe, uh, because it, it is uh, co-opted by the media and pollsters for uh, political purposes. And of course, there were always evangelical uh, spokespeople who fed right into that narrative and still do today. Um, but uh, there, there's been very little interest in the media, understandably, in what kind of goes on on a week-to-week basis in, in just a regular evangelical church. I mean, you know, uh, there's not going to be any reporting on evangelicals praying or sending out missionaries or singing <laughs> worship songs. I mean, I mean, but those are the things I think that to just regular evangelicals, I mean, that's why you're an evangelical is living out your your faith that way. But but um, that stuff just doesn't matter in, in uh, the media uh, treatments of, of evangelicals. And again, I, I understand that. I mean, the, the media operates on uh, conflict and a political controversy and that sort of thing. So the, the week-to-week piety of, of evangelicals is just not of interest in public discussion. So uh, so that that disjunction, I think, between uh, image and reality for evangelicals is a major part of the crisis, um, and and also just uh, the the perception that um, that politics is the main evangelical concern in America, and the inability of of uh, white evangelicals, black evangelicals, Hispanic evangelicals to agree on political issues. Um, is definitely part of the crisis too, but I guess it all basically revolves around uh, the politicization of at least the public image of the movement. Yeah, at least on the on the surface, um, even for those of us who are engage um, on a more deep than superficial level, but just sort of looking at the the state of of evangelical um, community or fraternity. It's so fractious, it seems, um, so sort of, you know, balkanized what, what um, you know, had sort of the prospect for unity in an increasingly post-Christian uh, society. It seems like this would be the time where we would be kind of coalescing around the common ground that we share, all the different evangelical tribes and movements and and what have you, if, if, if any age has called for us to kind of major on the majors, this would be it. And yet looking out at, at the landscape, the, we seem more divided um, than we've ever been on, on, on a million different, you know, fault lines, it seems like. And so it causes you know, some of us to just sort of wonder, like, has this, has, has the virus for this always been in us? Has it always been a part of the movement? Has, has the crisis been uh, somewhat kind of, uh, you know, laying under the surface uh, in some kind of subterranean, uh, you know, um, you know, personality or something of uh, of the movement, or did was there a, a definable point in history or 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 a series of moments where we kind of went off the rails? How you know would you say this is, you know, because you know our Catholic friends would say this is just what you've always done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, you know, you know, from the beginning, this you know, schism is and and, and division, and that's why there's twenty thousand denominations and all those sorts of things. Um, would you agree with that or would you just say, you know, that there was no, there was actually a point where we lost the message or we lost the plot? Well, there, there's always been a tendency, 
among evangelicals, but but Christians of a lot of different kinds. I don't think this is an exclusively evangelical problem. Um, so so there, there's always been a problem about how to relate to the political sphere. Um, our faith has political implications. Um, it, it always does. Um, there, there's just no part po- possibility of um, you know having a purely spiritual uh, church. Um, and, and so, especially when evangelicals have uh, the opportunity to have access to real political power, um, I, I think that that is especially when the temptation comes to um, to make politics the main point um, or to operate in such a way where you uh, disrupt unity with other Evangelical brothers and sisters in the name of politics. Um, and, and, you know, I've been working on a book lately on Thomas Jefferson. Uh, and, you know, evangelicals had very, very different views of Thomas Jefferson and would just tear each other apart over, over their view of Jefferson. Some thought that he was, um, you know, a God given fulfillment of prophecy for the, you know, the, the enshrinement of religious liberty. And other people saw him as almost kind of an antichrist kind of figure because of his, <laughs> wow. um, you know, uh, less than orthodox Christian views. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that people were just tearing each other up uh, over that. And, and there was a north and south dynamic. Southerners tended to be more keen on Jefferson than northerners were. Um, so anyway, you can go, b- go back to the 1700s, 1800s and see. Uh, you know, whether it's about the issue of slavery or what, you know, evangelicals tearing each other up in, in politics um, over over the course of history. But I, I, I do some, think something new happened starting in the 1950s in America that um, especially after some decades of um, especially especially after the Scopes trial in 1925, uh, a lot of evangelicals sort of were embarrassed, um, took a step back, uh, you know, they'd been mocked, uh, in, in the public sphere for, for some years for being, you know, bumpkins and, and, uh, you know, just out of touch politically and intellectually. But in the 1940s, 1950s, there was kind of a new opportunity to have political influence. And that especially came through Billy Graham, um, you, you know, uh, Graham was just such a sensation starting in the late 1940s that he started getting uh, called on by presidents, starting with Eisenhower, uh, who Graham helped to recruit to run for president as a Republican in 1952. And that kind of access to the heights of political power um, at least seemed new to a lot of white evangelicals. And was really alluring. I mean, you know, if you're getting called by the president, I mean, who, you know, and the president is saying, will you pray for me? Will you counsel me? Will you, will you uh, make appearances at camp- campaign stops with me? Can I speak at your evangelistic rallies? And so, I mean, you know, these are, it's tough to say no yeah. uh, to these to these kind of things. But I, I think that a lot of white evangelicals caught a vision for political access and, and power that not many evangelicals in history have ever had. Um, and that, I think, really culminated with the election of Reagan in 1980, 
Um, and even, even though Reagan really um, didn't do much for evangelicals, at least in terms of welcoming them into the White House after he got elected, but still, I mean, the, the moral majority felt like they had elected a president um, and, and in, in fact, had defeated uh, Jimmy Carter as a, a, a different kind of evangelical uh, along the way to do it. And so um, I think that really set the pattern that evangelicals felt like they had access to the heights of political power, uh, especially in the post-Roe v. Wade era. There was a sense that this could uh, potentially set things right uh, culturally for evangelicals and for the nation, and that uh, evangelicals would really be foolish to give that up um, almost regardless of who the, the the candidate was, and and of course that that leads ultimately to uh, the white evangelical partnership with Trump in 2016, um, and I think a lot of the fighting about about politics in 2016 and in the years since has been about um, whether we expect white evangelical leaders to kind of toe the line on the. Um, the moral majority model of ma- trying to maintain access to Republican political power. Um, and, and I still think that it, it, even though uh, I have very serious concerns about Donald Trump, I, I in, in a way can, can understand uh, the, the calculation that a lot of white evangelicals made, um, especially around the pro-life issue, uh, because, you know, the, the Supreme Court certainly now seems to be um, more open to uh, at least regulations of abortion uh, than uh, it was before Donald Trump became president. So, you know, I understand that calculation, but of course, a lot of people like me and, and others are, are worried about evangelicals um, paying a very heavy price uh, for, for an alliance with, with someone like Donald Trump. Right. So what's the remedy? How do we um, regain a, a sense of unity if it's possible. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was on uh, another uh, fellow's podcast, and he he asked me the same question. I was kind of taken aback by it, uh, which is to say, you know, Jesus prayed that we would be one in, in in John seventeen. What would it take for us to actually have an experience of that to actually be one? As you look out at the very tribalistic, very partisan, often divisive landscape of. E- you know, evangelical Christianity um, in the states, in particular, w- what will it take to cool things down? You know, let's just start there. Yeah, that's it's a tough question um, <laughs> because I, I mean, I think that people on all sides of these issues just are going to have very strong convictions about the best thing to do about about politics, and that's that's going to be divisive. I mean, I, I guess um, uh, you know, Christians having uh, divisions uh, uh, about theology or, or politics, that's always going to be with us. So I'm, I'm not, um, I, I really don't have high aspirations for us all sort of sitting around singing Kumbaya together. <laughs> um, but, but, but I do think, especially in our churches, we really do have um, a, a, a responsibility and an opportunity uh, to model uh, love for one another across partisan divides. Yeah. Um, and, and I've certainly seen that in my church. Um, you know, I, I've been pretty outspoken against Trump from an evangelical perspective, uh, but I always have to be mindful that every Sunday I'm going to be with people 
that I love who uh, voted for Trump and, and quite like Trump. Um, and uh, I actually think that's a good thing for Christians, uh, you, you know, to be in congregations. And if you're in a congregation of any large size at all, I mean, you're going to have people with very different political views, uh, maybe different political parties, you know, <laughs> yeah. as unbelievable as that may be to some Christians. And, um, and, and I think the challenge to love and be patient with and to understand um you know, I, I have no hope at all about kind of unity and kindness on Twitter. Um, but but I think within the local congregation, because of those personal contacts and and uh, and actually having to talk with people face to face or just not talk. I mean, it, it's it's OK. Like we don't need the church to be more politicized. Right. I mean, so so uh, I think sometimes it's wonderful for the church to be a place. Um, where we're not talking about partisan politics and we're talking about the things that, as I said, make evangelicals, evangelicals love for the Lord, uh, you, you know, study the Bible, sending people on missions, evangelism. I mean, those are the things that I'm, my church is talking about uh, 99% of the time and, uh, and, and just being able to preserve that. And so I, I teach an adult Sunday school class and I mean, I tell people, Straight out, this is a no politics zone. I mean, we we're just not that. That's not what we need. We need the Lord. We need the Word. Yes. And uh, we, you know, we we just don't need to worry about partisan politics here. And um, and I do that just in in part to maintain unity again among people, even my Sunday school class, who I know who have uh, different views about partisan politics. Yeah, you know the what you just alluded to and is really kind of pointing to the common ground, the things that we actually have in common on, on my heels. What I said to the the fellow who was asking me was, was saying really in a sense, um, in a real sense, a spiritual sense, which means in many cases more real than what we see, um, that unity has been secured by Christ. Like we really are one yes. in him, uh, <laughs> whether we like it or not, that, that's the, that's the crucial question. We are actually brothers and sisters. We have brothers and sisters who do, who we do not agree with and don't always like, but he has made us one by his own blood. Um, he has broken down that wall. Um, I think the next step, the actual experience of that, of that oneness, I, I don't know if it, 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 it'll take another revival. It'll take another great awakening of some kind. Um, I yeah. Think. And I mean, I think I, I wouldn't, you know, downplay the value of just having, even if it's just one or two friendships in you know church context or or you know with with a brother or sister who do, you know has different views from you, I, I I just think that's really valuable. Yeah. Um. And it, you know it it seems impossible in social media context, but but I, I think I'm I'm still hopeful. Uh, partly just because I have you know a few of those relationships <laughs> where uh, we've we've maintained open lines of communication, even though there's some secondary issues where we just, we don't agree. Yeah, no, that's great. Dr. Kidd, thanks so much for coming on the, uh, for the church podcast. Thanks for having me, Jared. Yeah. Before I let you go, I just got to tell you, and and I might've told you this before in some way, I don't know, but uh, your biography of George Whitfield was hugely influential for me, um, even in shaping, um, you know, I was familiar with Whitfield just from my time uh, pastoring in, in New England, but was not as familiar as I was after finishing um, your book and 
it kind of drove me deeper into Whitfield sermons and mm. that has in turn shaped my own preaching. There's things I have adjusted in my preaching just based on um, kind of becoming uh, better friends, if you will, because of, uh, because of you with, uh, with George Whitfield. Oh, that's so, great to hear. Thank you, Jared. Yeah, I really appreciate you. We've been speaking with Dr. Thomas Kidd. He's a distinguished professor, the distinguished professor of history at Baylor University, also a visiting professor of church history here at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And he's author of many books, including a forthcoming book on Thomas Jefferson, other biographies, George Whitfield, Benjamin Franklin, and others, uh, American history books, uh, church history books, a book on the Great Awakening, which is rather good as well, uh, but author of the book last year, Who is an Evangelical? The History of a Movement in Crisis. Pick it up wherever good books are sold. It was in my top 10 uh, list for books of 2019, so I highly recommend it to you. As always, dear listener, if you like the podcast, please share us with your friends. Give us a good review on iTunes. There's people leaving us negative reviews, if you can believe it. One-star reviews from some folks who are just really angry about what we do on here. Uh, so you can balance that out. Why don't you bring a little love to the table? Give us some good reviews on uh, any platform where you listen to this podcast. Every little bit helps. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.